Thanks for joining me on this Cleveland baseball morning. The final from the Rogers Center in Toronto. It's the Blue Jays hanging on eight to the Indians six. I'm Davey Barris, lifelong Cleveland baseball fan, and I want to talk about the actual game on the field, the thing I enjoy watching baseball being played. And hey, if you didn't listen to yesterday's episode, I know you probably pick and choose which episodes you listen to. Uh, Big news coming from the show. We've got a new logo that is going to be debuting soon. So when the logo changes in your podcast feed, be ready for it. I think you'll like it. It's pretty cool. We're just tweaking a few things with the font and then it'll be ready to go. And then that means merch. We're going to have t-shirts. We're going to, of course, coffee mugs. Of course, it's Cleveland baseball mornings. You got to sip your coffee in a CBM, you know, coffee mug and listen to the podcast. Um, so yeah, so all sorts of fun merch is going to be coming. You'll find it. Uh, I'll set everything up. I'll put it in the show description. I'll tweet it out. I'll probably be my pin tweet for a while. So if you follow me on Twitter at Davey Barris, you'll get all the information on that stuff. It'll be really fun. If I see one person at a Cleveland Indians, Cleveland Guardians game with a Cleveland baseball mornings t-shirt on, that will absolutely like make my year. That will be that would be awesome. So, uh, I would appreciate it. You know, uh, if you want to support the show, if you want to, you know, get this thing growing, wear some merch around, tell people about the show, that would be a ton of fun because, you know, this is one of the few places. The reason I started this show is because not many people out there want to talk baseball. Yeah, you've got the Selby is Godcast and you've got Locked on Indians. But I think what I give you here on this show is a little bit different than what you're getting in some of those other places, right? We're talking stats. We're talking details. We're talking game decisions. We're talking what's actually happening on the field. If you're listening to morning radio, all you're getting is big conversations like, uh, boy, the Dolans sure suck as owners, or I can't believe they're going to trade Francisco Lindor. Zero detail, I'm sure, this morning on local radio about J.C. Mejia not having a feel for his slider yesterday and why he that really threw him off uh, in his start. So let's get into the storylines. Let's get into the game. Let's talk those details that you come here for. So it was a tough one for J.C. Mejia and the Indians. It did not start well. Four runs in the first, one in the second, and then three more in the third would end J.C. Mejia's night. Final line is two and a third innings pitched, seven hits, eight runs scored, four walks. And this is only there was only one home run given up yesterday. No strikeouts, by the way. One home run given up, and that was the solo home run to Springer to kick things off. So these were rallies that they were putting together against him. Now, he only gave up five hard-hit balls but on 75 pitches, but it was a pretty brutal outing for J.C. Mejia. Uh, he really struggled to throw strikes. Uh, on 75 pitches, he only threw 38 strikes. And if you hear the pitter-patter of rain while I'm recording this, uh, it's raining where I am right now, and the only quiet place to record on vacation is sitting in my car, so you're probably going to hear the pitter-patter of rain throughout this podcast. Um, yeah, only 38 strikes, and if we go over to the Illustrator, he was clearly missing with both his sinker and his slider. The sinker was missing in off the left edge of the plate from the catcher's view, and the slider for him was sweeping across the zone to the right side of the plate from the catcher's view. 
way off the plate. Way, in fact, he only was able to land one, two, three, four, five sliders actually in the strike zone yesterday. And that's a big pitch for him. Uh, it's a big pitch that he usually uses as a put-away pitch. But if you're not getting ahead in the count, if they're hitting everything, if you're not locating that pitch at all, they have absolutely no reason to swing at it. I mean, when you're missing this badly, if you could start grouping these, I mean, he's throwing them in the batters, in the opposite batter's box. If you can start grouping these on the shadow of the plate, you're going to get a lot of swing and miss on this. But when you're throwing them across to the other batter's box, you're not going to get right-handed hitters to chase that badly unless you are really dominating and ahead in the count in the game. That was not happening. I mean, nothing. He had one whiff on 26 swings yesterday. One whiff for J.C. Mejia. I mean, no wonder he had no strikeouts. Uh, 13 swings on a sinker. He got one whiff on it. Nothing else got him a whiff. His total CSW on the day is 17. He got a few called strikes off a sinker, a few on that slider, a one on a curveball, but that's it. Even the four-seam fastball, he could not get by them for a strike. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm someone who thinks that the sinker is not working for him. I would love to see him move to more of a fastball slider combo with the curve and the changeup mixed in just to throw off the timing, sneak him in every now and then. But even the fastball wasn't working for him. On four swings on the fastball, they fouled off two and put two in play. He didn't get one called strike on eight fastballs. So that is really, really not good. And he said in the postgame interview that uh, you know, have, not having the slider not having the feel for the slider really threw things off for him. And that's perfectly understandable. If you think something is your pitch that you identify with and you just don't have a feel for it that day, how are you supposed to work all your other pitches? Like that's that's perfectly understandable. Now the hard part is it's something that he's got to work on. Should he be working on that at the major league level? I I don't know. I don't I think when Savali is ready to come back. I think J.C. Mejia is probably the one who goes down to AAA or moves to the bullpen. I mean, it was working for Sam Henches right now. I didn't even realize Henches was still uh, with us. Uh, you know, I thought he was down to AAA until a few days ago when he comes in relief, and then he comes in relief in this one. Uh, first is Justin Garza. The bullpen actually did spectacular in this game. After uh, J.C. Mejia comes out of that game, the Indians' bullpen doesn't allow a run. They put up zeros the rest of the game, which is what sets up the second half of this game. I mean, it's really the tale of two games. Uh, Justin Garza comes in an inning in two-thirds, does give up two hits, but two strikeouts, no runs, no walks. Uh, Sam Henches does give up a hit and a walk, but he gets out of it with a nice double play turned by the Indians and a great stretch by Bobby Bradley. I mean, have we ever seen an Indians first baseman as good at doing the splits to uh, to you know to snag a ball to reach out and get a ball in his furthest extension? It's a beautiful splits by Bobby Bradley. Uh, you got to give him credit where credit is due. However, Bobby Bradley did have a tough play earlier in the game while Mejia was still pitching, where it was a shot down the first base line that I really thought Bobby Bradley probably should have come up with. He kind of did that thing where he turned to his left and kind of tur- took a knee and tried to backhand the ball. 
Uh, maybe if he laid out for it, uh, maybe if he was a step quicker and could have, you know, got there and knocked it down. When you when you turn yourself sideways like that and you take a knee, it's just like uh, just like the movie of the Major League. I don't want to see any of that Olay stuff, and I censored that uh, that Roger Dorn was doing in that movie. Like it's exactly what he was yelled at for in that movie, and that's exactly what Bobby Bradley did on that play. A little of that Olay stuff. So uh, that one hurt Mejia. But uh, anyways, Henches comes in, does get a double play to get out of it. So that's nice to see Henches in relief. And Henches was letting his off-speed stuff really work for him. Uh, he threw nine sliders, six fastballs, and four curveballs. They were swinging at the slider. They were swinging at the curveball. They didn't even bother with his fastball. He only threw one for a strike. Uh, the rest they laid off. But uh, he gets a called strike and a whiff on his slider. He gets two whiffs on his curveball. So it's good for a 50% CSW on his curveball. So it's not a great CSW on the day. Like I said, he was missing with that fastball, but the double play really helps him out there. But he wasn't just uh, trying to attack fastball, fastball, fastball. He was using that off-speed stuff, knowing that he's probably only got to go an inning, maybe, you know, maybe two if he really is good here. And, uh... He does his job. He gets through that inning. So maybe that's something that J.C. Mejia needs a little time doing when Savali comes back. Savali, who is throwing, I believe, another bullpen session today where they're going to let him throw breaking balls, see how he feels. So he could be close to a rehab assignment. Now, uh, I was going to save it for the end of the show, but while we're talking about Savali, they announced that Shane Bieber is having some setbacks. They may shut him down for the rest of the season. I mean, and the way it's looking, if you're not going to make the playoffs, if you're going to be on the outside looking in, is there any need to rush Shane Bieber back this season? Right? That would be the white towel. That would be the Indians throwing in the towel. If they say that we're shutting Shane Bieber down for the rest of the season, he's going to continue to do his physical therapy, build up strength in that shoulder, and come back strong in his offseason program, that would be waving the towel from the Indians' front office and from the coaching staff. But... The players sure aren't waving the white towel yet. Um, so we might get Savali back. Bieber, still, we're still waiting. They didn't say they're shutting him down, but he's definitely had some setbacks in his rehab. So uh, JC Mejia, could the bullpen help him? Instead of going down to AAA and starting at AAA, where he would probably dominate, maybe put him in the bullpen so he still has to face Major League Pitching. Right, He still has that challenge, but now he gets to focus on one inning, accomplishing one inning, taking down three hitters. And uh, if, you know, if that's helping Sam Henches, the White Sox are known to do this. Right, They bring up young guys, stick them in the bullpen for like two seasons, three seasons, so they get all that experience against Major League hitters. But they get to really focus in on that one inning, then maybe grow them as a starter. That has not been the Indians' way of doing things, but... In this crazy season where so many young guys have been called up, maybe it's the way to go. Uh, so anyways, uh, Wickren comes in. Wickren really dominates an inning and two-thirds, no hits, no runs, no walks, three strikeouts from Nick Wickren, and then Blake Parker finishes off the last inning and a third, and he's got zeros across the board. No walks, no strikeouts, 16 pitches for his inning and a third. Wickren uh, was getting it done, I believe, with his changeup. Uh, his changeup had a 50% CSW and his slider 
had a 75% CSW. Uh, so those two pitches were really doing a good job for him there. Um, the four-seam fastball wasn't bad. They didn't put a fastball in play. They fouled off five of them and whiffed once, two called strikes. So the CSW numbers don't look great, 25%, but he didn't get one ball put in play on him there. So that's good. They did put the changeup in play, but on five swings, three whiffs, two put in play. Uh, so yeah, so that's what was going on with Wickren. And for Blake Parker, uh, it was his splitter inducing weak contact. They averaged 82.7 mile per hour exit velocity. They put four splitters in play on five swings. They fouled one off and put four in play, but weak contact against that splitter from Blake Parker. So that is good to see. All right. On the other side of things, like I said, it was a tale of two games. It's not like the Indians weren't hitting throughout this game. They did get some hits off of Steven Matz. Um, the final line for Matz is six innings pitched, six hits, no runs, a walk, and eight strikeouts. The problem was throughout those six innings, every time they started to get something going, the strikeouts from Matz, the strikeouts, the eight strikeouts were huge. And if I go back over to the illustrator here and uh, we take a look at the results tab, the strikeouts from Matz were high and low. Everything he gave up that was hit, and they were all singles, by the way, all those hits, were basically clustered right down the middle. He did, Bradley Zimmer did reach up and get a high singer that he got a hit off of, and Ahmed Rosario reached outside in the first inning and hit one up the middle on a uh, sinker that was on the outside edge. The other four were right down the pipe. Now, the strikeouts, five of them were high, and it's the hard sinker gets Austin Hedges, actually gets uh, Bradley Zimmer with that, uh, gets Austin Hedges twice with that. Gets Oscar Mercado with a high and tight sinker. Gets Bobby Bradley with a high and tight sinker. Gets Bradley Zimmer with a curveball up there. A high curveball. That's tough. Uh, Bradley Zimmer going in and facing a lefty because he had sat the last two days against lefties. Um, and DeMarlo Hale said, I wanted to get, I'm not going to make a guy sit three days in a row like that. I'm going to keep rotating him in. So even though it's a lefty, they thought that split. There was a better split against lefties, against Mats, than anyone else um, that the Blue Jays were running out there. And then he gets Fermil Reyes on a changeup low, a curveball for Owen Miller gets him, and then Bobby Bradley on a sinker down and away. So uh, everything is in the zone, though. It's on the edges. It's on the edges of the strike zone. That's the difference right here. Um, he's really doing a good job commanding the edges of the strike zone. And that's why Steven Matz was able to bear down every time the Indians had something going. They had guys on base, and they did. They absolutely did have little rallies going throughout the game, right? Um, Ahmed Rosario gets on. Jose Ramirez hit a deep fly ball, 100.5 mile per hour exit velocity, 375. Unfortunately, not deep enough. It was only a 22-degree launch angle, so it's not like he got under it just didn't maybe didn't get it on the barrel maybe got it off the end of the bat a little bit but it just didn't it felt like a home run swing it just didn't go uh they get someone on there was someone on in the second nobody on in the third they get a little rally going on two on in the uh, fourth inning reyes and mercado single in the fourth so they had a little rally going there a little rally in the fifth with two on uh back-to-back singles from zimmer and straw but he gets out of that one and then it leads off the sixth inning with a walk, but then strikeout, strikeout, ground out to get out of that one. So the Indians don't get going, of course, until the eighth inning. Um, in the eighth inning, 
unbelievable five hits in a row for the Cleveland Indians. And the Blue Jays' bullpen is still looking incredibly vulnerable. For Mio Reyes with a single, Bobby Bradley with a single, both of those to the opposite field. Oscar Mercado with a nice weak single back up the middle, 69.8 mile per hour exit velocity. And then I love this. Owen Miller doubles down the left field line. The exit velocity on this is 65.1 miles per hour. Watching the replay, honest to God, it looks like almost a check swing. He doesn't follow through all the way on this swing. And he just bloops it over the third baseman's head and down the left field line. And it, you know, caroms into foul territory and it allows the bases to clear. And it helps that Oscar Mercado is the runner on first base because he comes all the way around to score. And Owen Miller clears the bases. Um, Austin Hedges up next with a single moves Owen Miller over to third. That's the fifth hit in the row. Before Bobby Bradley come Bradley Zimmer comes up. Sorry, a lot of lot of B names in this lineup. Bradley Zimmer comes up, and he hits a sack fly out to right field, and it brings Owen Miller into score. So that is the four runs in that eighth inning. And suddenly, I mean, what went from just a Toronto absolute rout, an absolute blowout, being up 8 nothing after three innings, kind of looks like a baseball game. Like, did it make you turn your TV back on once you saw that? Um I don't know. It was. It's an interesting way to end a game. It makes it really difficult on yourself when you start scoring runs in the eighth inning. And clearly, I mean, it, by the final score, you see that the Indians will run out of gas in this thing. Jose Ramirez then leads off the ninth inning with a 99-mile-per-hour exit velocity home run. In fact, let's go to this matchup here, and let's see this at-bat from Jose Ramirez. So everything is down. He starts him with a four-seam fastball uh, at the waist, but down, um, maybe just below the belt for a called strike. Misses with one inside at the same height. Throws another fastball to him at that same height for a called strike. He's just laying off the fastball for some reason. Then Romano uh, thinks that he can get him with a slider. Throws him a slider over the plate that he fouls off. Throws him another slider right down the middle of the plate, just below the belt. Uh, those sliders have to be in if he wants to get Jose Ramirez to swing over them. And instead, Jose Ramirez cracks it to right field. 99 mile per hour exit velocity, 377 feet, 34 degree launch angle. His 24th home run on the season. Uh, so that is a fun way to start the ninth inning. And that makes the entire bench. The entire dugout feel like anything is possible. Well, Fermil Reyes would strike out after that. Bobby Bradley would strike out swinging after that. Romano does get Bobby Bradley on a slider. What did he get Fermil Reyes on? He got him on a fastball, a high fastball. Gets Bobby Bradley on a slider, and that brings up Oscar Mercado. Uh, and down in the count, Oscar Mercado down to his last strike after a slider for strike one. A slider that he misses, tries to back one up on him, uh, that he misses inside for a ball. He fouls a slider off that's down the middle and then gets a high fastball, a 100-mile-per-hour fastball. That was the speed coming in. It goes out at 100.6, a line drive, 368 feet, 25-degree launch angle to those seats in left field right above the bullpen. I've actually sat in those seats in Toronto before. Um... 
yeah, an awesome home run uh, from Oscar Mercado to go up the ladder and tattoo a 100-mile-per-hour four-seam fastball coming in. That is something. That is something from Oscar Mercado, who had himself one heck of a day at the plate. Oscar Mercado was four for five yesterday with an RBI, two runs scored. He did strike out once, but a huge day at the plate for Oscar Mercado. In the battle between him and Bradley Zimmer, Mercado's now got his average up to 250. He's got his OPS up at 718. Meanwhile, Bradley Zimmer, one for three on the day, did have an RBI on that sack fly. His average is sitting at 246 with a 685 OPS. And I think the winner of this Mercado-Zimmer battle, and it's definitely, with the addition of Miles Straw, it is definitely a little bit of a battle between those two guys uh, to see who might be the, I don't know, left fielder of the future, the right fielder of the future. Uh, I think, I don't know if both those guys are going to be playing the outfield for us when it comes to the long term. So, uh, yeah, Oscar Mercado had himself one heck of a game, and that home run there is huge. Owen Miller then on the first pitch gets a single uh, to center field. Keeps the game alive, brings the tying run to the plate in Austin Hedges, and after a seven-pitch at-bat, finally goes down to a four-seam fastball on the outer edge. It's a pitch he threw him three times in the at-bat. The first Third and seventh pitch are all in the same location. Fastball's on the outside edge, and he finally goes down swinging. I don't know if they could have pinched hit Harold Ramirez at that point. I mean, he was sitting there on the bench today. I probably would have loved to have seen him up in that situation, but I believe Roberto Perez was dealing with a lower back injury. He was scratched from the lineup uh, with a lower back injury. So if he's not available as your backup catcher, I don't even know who the emergency catcher on this team would be if Hedges would have gotten hurt. So you can't, I would have pinched hit Harold Ramirez still. I think I would have gone for it. I mean, you gotta, you're down to your last out. What do you have to lose? If you magically tie the game, maybe you figure it out from there. But I would have loved to see, even though Austin Hedges was two for five in the game, two for four coming into that, he had struck out twice also and on high fastballs. So, one more strikeout added to Austin Hedges' day. I mean, two for five is not a terrible day for a backup catcher, but the three strikeouts were big. They were with runners on base. He left two runners on base himself, and uh, yeah, the Indians just needed one more at-bat, one more big swing to come back on this one. And this, I mean, what a matchup between these two teams. They are just hammering each other's pitching staff. The Blue Jays are hammering are starters, and the Indians are hammering their bullpen. And it was George Springer doing all the damage in this one. Four for five with three RBIs and two runs scored, including a double and the big home run in the first inning off Mejia. First pitch, too. And they talked about in the postgame, you know, so yeah, Springer's known for being aggressive early, for swinging aggressive early. He... Um, they were talking about some, you know, the other names of Blue Jays hitters or something like that, or other hitters that have hit this many leadoff home runs or first inning home runs in to begin their careers. And he's up there with like Frank Thomas's of the world and stuff like that for the most first inning home runs in his career. And if you know this, 
why go first pitch fastball? I, I mean, I know that you're trying to establish a strike zone. You're trying to get ahead of them. But throwing them the hard stuff on the first pitch, let's see what they do today. Because he has now homered back-to-back games against them. You know, this one on the first pitch. Let's see what the first pitch is today against him. And the pitcher on the mound is going to be McKenzie. Does he go first pitch curveball? I am really interested to see that. That is a storyline that will definitely carry over to tonight's game. George Springer hitting in that leadoff position. What does he do? But yeah, this, these Blue Jays hitters were absolutely relentless against J.C. Mejia. If he came anywhere near the strike zone, they were swinging at it and they were hitting it. Springer is the only one with a multi-hit game, though, on the day, so it was really spread out against the rest of them. Corey Dickerson had a double. Uh, Guerrero Jr. had a double. Uh, playing first base, Vladimir. Uh, sorry, it's just weird to see Guerrero Jr. without the Vladimir in front of it. Uh, Vlad Jr. had the had a double off of him. McGuire had a double off of him. Springer had a double to add to his home run. Um you know, so Simeon had a hit. Bo Bichette drove in an RBI. Um, I believe that was probably a sack fly. He scored a run, too. Uh, Tescar Hernandez only had one hit. Uh, Dickerson did drive in two RBIs with his double. So, yeah, so everybody was contributing. Contributing. Grichik with a hit in an RBI for them. Uh, a walk and a run scored from Valera. And then McGuire with a hit in RBI. Also had a walk, so he was on base twice. So, the walks also added up. The walks did turn into runs, and that's something that Mejia's got to work on. But this Blue Jays lineup was relentless against the starter. And then the Indians, I mean, everybody had a hit on the Indians, including Fermil Reyes, Fermil Reyes, who had two hits on the day, Mercado with the four hits on the day, Owen Miller had two hits on the day, including the bases clearing double. Austin Hedges had two hits on the day. Everybody in the Indians lineup hit. They just couldn't really put it together until late in the game against the Blue Jays' bullpen. So, MVP for the day. I got to give it to... Oh, this is a tough one. Do I give it to the four hits for Oscar Mercado or the three RBIs for Owen Miller? I'm going to give it to the Oscar Mercado for the four hits because he was doing it all day. Those three RBIs came on one swing. And let's be honest, it was not... It was it was an interesting swing. It was sort of a half swing bloop over the third baseman's head that brought in those three runs for Owen Miller. So I got to give it up to Oscar Mercado for getting up there and hitting that 100-mile-per-hour fastball for a home run for four hits on the day. Oscar Mercado gets MVP for the day. All right. Uh, what, ter- what started as just a brutal game, I mean, I'm looking at this box score going, what the heck am I going to talk about about this one? turns into a really fun baseball game in the end. I mean, we the look on the faces of the Toronto Blue Jays fans when Oscar Mercado hits that home run. And the replay, the slow-mo replay is beautiful because they're cheering, they're clapping, they're screaming. They want Romano to finish this thing off. And then Mercado goes up the ladder and hits that home run. And it's like everybody behind home plate, their jaws drop in unison. And they're all knocked into silence in unison at the crack of the bat. Uh, it's really funny. So if you haven't seen the replay, go watch the replay of Mercado's home run and just pay attention to the people in the background, the crowd in the background and their reaction. So yeah, so on a tough day for JC Mejia, unfortunately he takes another loss. He moves to one and seven. They're probably going to keep running him out there because I don't know if anybody else 
I mean, nobody else from AAA is going to come up and start. They've kind of run through everybody. Uh, our rotation is kind of set until Savali comes back. And then at that point, I think Mejia is either headed to the bullpen or AAA. Um, I don't think I don't think they want to put Henches back out there to start. I think they're going to let Henches keep throwing out of the bullpen and focus on what he needs to work on for the rest of this season. And then maybe get back into the starter conversation during the offseason. So thanks for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning. That is all my thoughts on this one. We'll be back tomorrow to talk about... Uh, talk about Tristan McKenzie. Does he go first pitch fastball against George Springer? And how does he do against this relentless Blue Jays lineup? You can follow me on Twitter at Davey Barris. I'll be tweeting out the new logo and all the t-shirt and merch information there. So follow me at Davey Barris. You can email the show at clevelandbaseballmornings at gmail.com. Let me know your thoughts on the game and we'll discuss them on the show. Also, I'm hosting this podcast on Anchor, so if you go to anchor.fm forward slash Cleveland Baseball Mornings, you can leave a voicemail for the show. We'll play them back in the air, respond to your thoughts, and we'll have a fun conversation amongst the fans about baseball. So thanks again for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning. <laughs>